When you made the decision to follow Christ, something inside of you woke up. Your soul was alive for the first time. The decision was very personal. That first spark of life was just between you and Jesus, but it couldn't stay hidden for long. God's presence has affected every part of your life, bringing light to even the darkest places. And now, it's time to let it show. Baptism is your opportunity to shine brightly before your friends, your family, the world. It's time to say, I've buried my old life. My new life has begun. Baptism is a declaration. It's a line in the sand. It's time to let God's light shine for everyone to see. have yet to be publicly water baptized since you've said yes to Jesus, even if you have known him for 20 years, I pray that you'll make next week uh, that opportunity. We're doing it both Saturday night and Sunday morning. I think we already have more people signed up than we ever have before, and I hope you will join in if you've yet to make that declaration. There is really something to it. I want to tell you a quick story about baptism. This will tie into baptism in just a minute, but uh, the story was I mean, this was 29 years ago. I just added it up last night. I'm like, wow, that was, this was a while ago. I was in Bible college. And after class, I was staying uh, after school. They had another prayer session an hour later. And for, this was just a, during a season in my life that I was fasting this day. So I'm not going to go have lunch. And I stayed in this, went into this one classroom. All the lights are off. And I'm in there just praying. And occasionally, now this isn't normal. I think for all of us, prayer can be a little bit dry. But occasionally... It's clicking on all cylinders. You know, you're just connecting. You're feeling God's presence. And, you know, we love it, those occasions when that happens. And it was just flowing. And I, for whatever reason, I just had this thought. I'm there praying, just sitting there in the corner, praying in the dark. And uh, I just had this thought go through my mind of, the, you remember that Old Testament story of David who danced before the Lord? And I thought, man, Brian, this is all clicking for you today. Let's give it a shot. This is your day. So I just uncorked it and uh, started whatever, doing, you know, dancing, and uh, it was a little odd. But nonetheless, I was, you ever get embarrassed just by yourself? I mean, there's not even, nobody even watching you, and you're embarrassed. You're just embarrassing yourself. And so I'd be lying to say I was sensing more of God's presence or anything, but there, you know, there I am. And, and how, this, how this janitor did this so quickly, I'll, I will never know, but somehow he got the door open and the lights on in one-eighth of a second and just caught me mid-pirouette. And uh, our eyes locked, and he was a, a fellow student at this school, so I think he picked up pretty quick what was going on. He said, oh, I'm sorry. And he, just, he just shut the lights back off and, and took his vacuum cleaner out the door. So the whole thing probably didn't last a second, but it was enough time for me to go from feeling a little bit odd to absolutely mortified. And um, I was just so embarrassed. I was just so, I just sat down. I went back in my corner. I'm like, oh, man. I'm never doing that again. So I'm sitting there in my corner, kind of licking my wounds. And um, these things are, are really challenging 
to describe. When we talk about God revealing himself in ways, I realize sometimes when, you, when I sh- share these stories, it sounds like, you know, I heard this voice and God appeared. And uh, it isn't quite like that, but it's challenging to describe. But I'll just tell you like it happened. I was just sitting there and I heard these words. You know, it wasn't an audible voice, but I heard these words. And let me just say this. The presence of God is self-authenticating. You never have to wonder. Uh, he, has an, he has a shocking way of letting you know this is him because he has a way of just kind of overloading your normal, your circuits of normal, and there's just something eternal about it. Well, I just heard these words as I'm sitting down in my embarrassment. I heard these words, that's my boy. And I just went on tilt. I just, uh, uh, you know, any embarrassment, to, to to whatever degree I was in the negatives on emotion of embarrassment, it went on the other side of just joy. I, how do you describe the presence of God has this way of just filling you, filling you with joy, with peace. You can't be touched by God in any way that doesn't add some security to your life. We use this phrase, eternal security. Well, there's something, about, there's something secure about eternity. And there were things in my heart that I didn't even know were wrong that got fixed just in that moment, just there. And I'm, I'm just weeping. Uh, I don't know why, quite honestly. Uh, there was nothing, you know, why, why weep? But now I'm sitting there in this corner weeping, just in, in, in feeling God's presence. I got some snot flowing down my nose. And after a minute of that, the next thought I have after I'm kind of able to recover from this, the next thought I have is, man, I hope that janitor doesn't come in again. See me here. He'll like be calling for security. <laughs> We've got a basket case in room 114. <laughs> but nonetheless, I want you to notice that in Jesus's baptism, um, now I think I'm guessing that Jesus handled it a little bit better. I don't think Jesus uh, probably uh, buckled down in tears But Jesus heard a very similar thing um, at his baptism. The Bible tells us that one day Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee. John baptized him in the Jordan River. As Jesus, I think you got this on a scripture, guys. As Jesus came up from, uh, as Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart, the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. So notice this, as he was baptized, that's when the Spirit of God came upon Christ. This is really where his ministry began because all the good things that happened It's the Spirit of God that's doing all that. It wasn't Jesus in his flesh doing that. It was the Spirit of God accomplishing that. And a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. There is something about the approval of God. We all, whether we admit it or not, whether we even know it, we we all want approval. And we may not even recognize it, but we ultimately want God's approval. And there's something about the approval of God that heals things in your soul that you didn't even know were wrong. Uh, sometimes you don't even know you're hurt until hurting, until it's healed, and you just oh, you just find God. Now again, I I think Jesus. Uh, I don't think it it knocked him over in a puddle of tears, but I assure you, the approval of God had an impact on him. Again, I, I'm presuming he his walk with God obviously was in a different place, and I think he probably just thank you and just kept going. But nonetheless, it is profound. And it is profound that this happened upon him getting out of the waters of baptism. Now, there's a lot of reasons to be baptized. The primary one that we keep going back to is just the fact that he asks us to. That if, and it is an if, if if you have had that revelation of Jesus Christ, really that's what salvation is. 
Salvation is nothing more than he reveals himself, you know, whether or not it's some overwhelming experience, but he reveals himself to you. You just, you, you find yourself in a spot where you just cannot deny his reality. And, and again, he's self-authenticating. He does that. If he's revealed himself to you, in other words, he's knocked at the door and you've said yes. Now, again, whether that happened 20 years ago or yesterday, he asks you to be baptized and there is a spiritual power to it. So if you haven't taken that step next week, now I cannot guarantee you that as you come out of the waters, that the Holy Spirit is going to land on you like a dove and you are going to have that experience where you hear God say, that's my boy. I can't guarantee you that. But I can guarantee you that every act of obedience is followed by more of God's grace. And that's what we want. That's what we live. We live in God's grace. If we're going to be walking with Christ, well, immediately upon the heels of Jesus' baptism, the Bible tells us here then in verse 12, that the Spirit then compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness. And again, this is the very beginning of his ministry. The Spirit compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. Now, these 40 days at the very beginning, and uh, the Bible, we're going to look at it in in the Gospel of Matthew in just a minute. Um, Jesus fasted for these 40 days, and for thousands of years, Christians have taken these 40 days and celebrated them in the 40 days leading up to Easter, and we call that Lent. Now, if you grew up with a Catholic background, you think, well, that's a Catholic thing. You think the Catholics invented I when I was young, attended a Lutheran church. I thought the Lutherans invented it. Uh, n- nobody invented it. Uh, well, I guess there had to be the original Christians that did it. It's just something since the apostles, since the time of Christ, that Christians have recognized if Jesus himself needed to fast. And wait, by the way, will you pull out, you've got some sermon notes in your bulletin. I hope you'll pull that out. And there's just a couple things that, some scriptures there I want you to follow along with. And sometimes when you write something down, you might remember it a little better. And just number one there, it says this. I think even Jesus realized this. Even Jesus realized that if I say yes to everything that I want, I'm going to have pain. Would you write that down? And has anybody discovered that? If you just say yes to whatever you want. I mean, how does that work when you're eight years old? When you give an eight-year-old everything they want, how does that work for them? Do they end up just happy and well-adjusted and, and ready to go to work? What happens? Well, if, we know what that looks like when you're eight, but how does it look like when you're 48? How many knows that it honestly only gets uglier? The older you get, the more you just keep giving yourself what you want. And I think as Christians, we just recognize that if even Jesus needed to recognize that, uh, that we do. So maybe just ask yourself a simple question. And um, Lent, here's a quote concerning Lent um, from Pope Benedict. Lent is like a long retreat. Can anybody use a retreat? It's, it's, a, it's a retreat from, from this cold, right? It's just, it's just this retreat to this warm, happy place. Well, it, it is spiritually. Lent is like a, re, a long retreat, 40 days long, during which we can turn back into ourselves. I find that interesting. This was written a long time ago, but uh, apparently he thinks that occasionally you'll become somebody other than yourself. Anybody look at the mirror? Anybody find yourself being a Mr. Krabby Pants? And you're like, who's this guy? Who, who is this person? No, nobody's ever has felt that about yourself. Am I the only other one who's like, who is this guy? Who's Mr. Krabby Pants here? Who is this? And it, you turn back into yourself, into the real you, the, real, the, the, the you that God created you to be, to, to walk with him. We turn back into ourselves. We listen to the voice of God in order to defeat the temptations of the evil one. 
So would you just ask yourself a really simple question? It's actually starting from today. There's 42 days. We're giving you a couple days jump here, a couple days notice, 42 days from today uh, till Easter. Uh, to ask yourself, maybe a simple question, is there anything in my life that I might just let go of? Is there something I can let go of? The reason for fasting is, is you can't really grab a hold of more of something else until you let go of something. So for the purpose of grabbing a hold of a little bit more of Jesus, and many of you are already reading plans, reading maybe a devotional uh, in the, that version app, but would you consider joining us with this if you'll just search for that one, Lent with One Voice. Actually, if you just type the word one in there, you'll, you'll find this one, Lent with One Voice. It's an excellent 40-day-long uh, uh, reading journey. Many of us have already started it. And it'd be just great to have many, many of us just reading that same thing each day. It's actually by some ministers in Hong Kong, so they make a couple of references to Hong Kong, but their culture is exactly like ours, and uh, it's just a, a really, really a great devotional, and I hope that you'll jump in there with us, all right? So now we're going to look at the temptations now. Jump in. The Bible says that the Spirit of God led Jesus into the wilderness. This is where his ministry began. Right after his baptism, the Holy Spirit becomes active, and the first thing the Holy Spirit does is to lead Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. Now, doesn't that sound a little bit odd? Why would the Spirit of God do that? Why would the Spirit of God lead me to be tempted? And to make it even more confusing, do you know that the word in your Bible that's translated test, like in the book of Hebrews, the Bible says God tested Abraham. That word test and the word tempt, you know, the temptations of the evil one. The word test and tempt are the exact same word. Now, let's be perfectly clear. I, I'm not suggesting, nor is the Bible suggesting, that God's testing. I mean, it's coming from a different angle. It's, it's different. But what is so similar about God's testing and Satan's temptations? How do these two meet that they could become the same word? Well, and you, you really have to see this. And under number two, will you write this down? What a temptation ultimately ends up being, a temptation is a test of your faith. It's a test of your faith. What is being tested, and you see it right under there, is where do I really believe the rewards are? That's what's being, see, God is allowing you to be tempted. God is not your tempter. Make no mistake about it. There is a real devil that really wants to destroy you, that really wants to drag your life right into hell. But the Bible says God will not allow you to be tempted beyond your abilities. Even God says, he sets limits because from his perspective, there is a test going on. And what's being tested is what do you honestly believe? If you really believe that God has the good stuff, that the rewards are ultimately God's, and all the good stuff is really his, you're going to hang on for his good stuff. Notice the scripture under number two. Hebrews 11.6 says this, it is impossible to please God without faith. Everybody say faith. Faith. Anyone who wants to come to God must believe two things. Number one, that God exists and that he rewards. Isn't it shocking that the second thing that's required for real faith, you have to believe that God's a rewarder. See, that is intrinsically a part of real faith. Real faith believes that God's a rewarder and any other thing other than God's will that is offered to me, real faith believes God has something bigger and better for me out in front of me. And that's what enables me to resist these little things that are being offered to me. It's not that I'm being so sacrificial. Nobody resists temptation out of their sense of duty. You might do that for five days. You might resist temptation like, oh, I mean, this is really the good stuff right here, but I'm, God doesn't want me to. God doesn't want me to, so I'm going to live a miserable life for Jesus. That's right. I'm going to suffer for Jesus. 
You might suffer for Jesus for five days, but that's not what keeps you on the straight and narrow. What keeps you on the straight and narrow is this overwhelming revelation that this good stuff is nothing compared to that good stuff, that God is the rewarder, God has all the good stuff, and I'm going to resist the little things because of the big rewards. God has something better for me. Let's take just the most classic temptation in our culture, and this is, by the way, this isn't new. This has been the human, a human temptation since the beginning. And we'll see the very first category that even Jesus was tempted with was just basic human hunger, just the human lusts, the human desires that God created for good. But take just the temptation that every human being understands, sexual temptation. How do we resist sexual temptation? How do I stay utterly, absolutely, completely faithful to my wife, not only physically, but even with my mind? All of my, any desire I have is going to be funneled to her. How do I do that? Well, you just buckle up and sacrifice. You fight it and you fight it and sacrifice. And you, you, you live realizing, man, all the good stuff is all around here. But man, God just gave me her. So I guess I'm going to... Leave all the good stuff. and All right, Rocky. It's you and me, baby. <laughs> really? No, absolutely not. God is a rewarder. I resist the temptation for all the smaller things because I know, let me just, again, sometimes when I say these things, people accuse me, think you're just trying to be dramatic and you're trying, whatever. No, I want to say it in a way you'll remember. I'm just trying to say something you might remember. The reason I don't log on to www.girlygirl, there's a reason I don't. And it's not because I'm sacrificial. I want better sex. There, I just said it right out in front of Jesus and everybody. I do. I honestly believe that doing it God's way is better. Even, even in just the category of sex. Not just better in my life. Not just, okay, he'll reward me with eternal life. No. Just actual sex. And you know, there's a shocking amount of of studies that prove that couples that stay together and keep their, all of their, rein in all of their sexual energy towards each other, 20, 30, 40, 50 years after being together are having a shockingly happier sex life than people who've just run everywhere. Yes, better. That's what it means when it says that in real faith believes that God's a rewarder. That's what it means. That it means that, yes, I'm going to say no, and it's a whole lot easier it really is. It's a whole lot easier to say no to the things right in my face when I am convinced beyond any shadow of a doubt that God's right and it's better out there. I've got something so glorious out in front of me and I'm going to keep walking towards that because I'm convinced to my toenails that every other thing is a liar. It's just, you're just lying to me and I don't believe you. I don't believe that it's better. I don't believe it. How many believe that God is better? God's ways are better. His word is better. His truth is better. He's just smarter. And it's not as if Satan has anything. All he does is take the very desires that God created for our good and try to make those your your own appetite and just make that your focus and make that what your life is about and just focus your life on that. Again, God created everything, every human appetite God almost ultimately created. God created sex. I don't know how that worked. I, I don't know. I mean, was there a day you guys have heard that? Maybe this, some of the young people have never heard this song, but when I was young, 
50 years old now, but when I was young, there used to be this song, well, a knee bone connected to the thigh. I don't know, maybe it was working this way. This, maybe this is how it happened. God one day was just up there singing that song, the knee bone connected to the thigh bone, the thigh bone connected to the... Wait just a minute now. Wait, wait, wait. Wait, now this could work. This could work. I don't know. I don't know how he designed it. I don't know if he had a meeting with the plumbing department and said, hey, I don't know. I don't know, but I know that it's his. Some of you are still getting the knee bone connect, thigh bone. Oh. He designed it for our good, and it, but it does. It takes faith. Now, I'm using that as a, an example. I'm using sex as an example because it's so obvious to us, but it's the same exact thing with every other temptation. Every human, every human being is tempted to take their money and... S- to make all they can and can all they make. In other words, just make all I can, can all I make, keep it for me. Every human being has that same exact temptation. So why am I a tither? Why do I take a tenth of every, 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 everything that comes to me and bring it to God? Is it because I'm so amazingly sacrificial? Yeah, that's, that's right. I'm just so sacrificial. No, ultimately, I'm really not. Now, let's be clear. There are sacrifices. There are things God asks. And I'm not suggesting that I do all my financial giving just for my own rewards. I'm not suggesting that, but I am suggesting that Jesus, the word of God, it's just true that we seek rewards. God created us that way. And he's set things up in such a way that it's going to appear to your brain that the good stuff is just keeping it for yourself. And even financially, the reason I do that is I trust God. I can't see everything that's coming down the future. I can't see my future, but I trust God that if I will obey him, and do what he says financially in every other area of my life that my future is going to be better, even financially. It's going to be better. He's going to work things out. He's going to stop things that I can't control. He's going to help me in ways that I can't imagine. How many, anybody trust God? Just think God might be smarter than you and bigger than you. That's what faith is. And that's how we resist temptations. Look at this quote under number A, under number two. You see an interesting quote from Blaise Pascal. He said, all men seek happiness. Whatever different means they employ, this is the motive of every action of every man, even those who hang themselves. Kind of an odd quote, but he's, he's actually shockingly biblical. He's saying we ultimately end up doing but what we think we're going to enjoy, but faith puts a completely different spin on that. What I actually believe I'm going to enjoy is everything God says. He's, he's not trying to cheat me. He's not trying to cut anything off. He's created everything uh, in his way for the good. All right, so we're going to look at the three uh, temptations that Jesus has faced. I wish we had more time just for temptation. The Bible has a lot to say. And throughout Scripture, many different places, it divides temptation into three different categories. And the first temptation falls into this category, just basic human desires. Would you write this down under number three? I'm hungry. So the first category is just, I'm hungry. Those basic human desires that we all have, food, sex, fun, write those three words down. Three things that God created, God wants. Food, sex, and fun is all stuff he made, and in its boundaries, it's awesome. Jesus, his first temptation just fit into that exact category, just basic human desires. Then I'm going to read now from, you see in your notes there, Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted. Everybody say, he fasted. He's letting go of some things that, you know, he has every right to, just to get more of God. He fasted and became very hungry. 
During that time, the devil came to him and said, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. Again, is it wrong to eat? Of course not. But Satan just wants to take you on a trip where you make your normal human desires your, your goals in life. They, they are your gods, ultimately. They dictate to you. And Jesus says, no, I'm going to trust God. God is going to satisfy me. That really is ultimately what Jesus is saying. He's saying, no, Satan, God satisfies me. God takes care of me. I'm going to trust God. Say these words with me. Say, God satisfies me. Can we say that together? God satisfies me. That is the revelation that's going to keep you from this first category of temptations. Just a simple revelation, God satisfies me. And whatever I have to say no to, and I know he's bringing something better. I know he's going to take care of me. Verse 4, Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That is what Jesus is saying. I'm going to live by God, by his word, and I'm going to trust him and his word to bring me everything I need, even the physical things that I need. The second category, number four, of temptation the Bible talks about, and it's a second temptation Jesus faced as well. I'm gonna, let's put it this way. Write this down. Look at me. It's just more that desire for attention, importance, approval. I put a spot, spot over there to write those down. Attention, importance, and approval. Now, whether we can admit it or not, and sometimes as men we would want to deny that, I don't need nobody's approval. Yeah. Um, well, unfortunately for you, you are human, and you do want approval. We all do. We all do, but maybe it's tough for us to recognize that what we're actually longing for is God's approval. And I told that story up front not just to set up, you know, Jesus' baptism and that God's approval is part of baptism. I told that story to say, and I wish I could describe it better, but there's something, I don't live in that same state of emotion after, that, after I was dancing and had that encounter. I, I don't live in that state of, you know, this presence of God. I don't live there. But you know what? It does. And when you have experiences with God, it does set a mark in your life. It creates a place that, that you can go back to. And, and that sense of approval doesn't leave you. And I think we would all, maybe some of us are aware of how many ugly things we've done, how many stupid things we've done, how many desperate things we've done just because we wanted approval. We needed approval. I mean, even if it was just on Facebook, that little like, oh, they like me. (laughs) We want to be liked. Well, Satan came to Jesus trying to play, you know, that fiddle like he plays for all of us. The devil, verse five now, the devil took him, Jesus, to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple. Now, we have to understand the temple is where all the people gathered for worship, all the people that Jesus had come to redeem, you know, to come and bring God to. And Satan's got an easy plan for him. Satan said, if you're the son of God, here's a great plan. Jump off because the scriptures say that he's going to give his he will order his angels to protect you. They'll hold you up with their hands. You won't even hurt your, hurt your foot on a stone. So stop right there. Satan's painting Jesus, this glorious picture. Jesus, this is so simple. Forget this whole cross thing and suffering. I mean, you came to, you came to earn the worship you know, of the people. This is simple, Jesus. Jump off. 
The angels carry you down. Oh, you know, and they, they land you right there on the top step. Everybody sees you flying down in front of them, waving at the crowd. You land on the top step. You share with them the fact that you are the Messiah. They all bow down and worship you. Bang, job done. And everybody thinks you're awesome. They see you flying down. They're like, That would almost be like better than five rings, wouldn't it? All the men are like, no, I don't think so. <laughs> but you get the point. That's what, he's, that's what Satan's playing on, just that, that desire to be acknowledged and admired. And again, is Jesus saying, when Jesus resists this, this temptation, is Jesus saying, no, no, I don't ever want the worship of mankind. I don't want men to ever approve of me. I don't, I, no, 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 I don't want that. No, that's not what he's saying. No, 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 no. In fact, the Bible says that every knee will bow before him. Oh, no, he, he's, he just happens to know how it actually works. And if I'm ever going to get any approval, and none of us, we're all the same way. Yes, we all want approval too. But how it actually works is doing it God's way. If I'll do it God's way, which is generally a little bit tougher, a little bit harder, it generally involves going uh, the low road instead of looking the look at me road, you end up in a spot that not only God approves of, but even humanity says, ah, they were right. That's the road. That's what we want. So Jesus resists that second temptation. You see in verse 7, Jesus responded, the scriptures also declare you must not test the Lord your God. So the second category, I think Jesus is just saying God approves of me. Let's say that together. God approves of me. That's what satisfies that second human temptation. That once you've gained that approval from God, you just don't, it fills that need to such a degree that now you can serve and give and be a blessing in this world and you're no longer just looking for attention. The last one is this, my kingdom. Will you write that down, number five? My kingdom. Want to believe it or not, you want your kingdom. Sure you do. We all do. We're born that way. I mean, and it's, it's shocking how we can devolve that into just building our kingdom in the smallest little ways, in the smallest ways. I mean, your, your workplace can become people who are fighting for their kingdom. This is my office. That's my, don't touch my stuff. That's my stuff. It's my kingdom. We want that. And Satan's final temptation to Jesus is what it is to us all of how we can get that, how you can get your kingdom. And he'll even take some scriptures and twist it a little bit to, hey, this is what God wants you to have. A few things that fit under that category, a lot of other things might, but money, control. How about legacy? a word we wouldn't think of much and probably most of us aren't thinking, yeah, I want to leave a legacy. But the older you get and the more kingdom you have, you start thinking those things. Yeah, what's my legacy going to be? Now, once again, is it wrong to have money? Is that, is that the point? N- none, of these things, none of these things are wrong in and of themselves. But it's what are they feeding in me? And the real bottom line revelation, we'll read, read, read the temptation here, but the bottom line revelation that gets us through this one that passes this test is this amazing awareness that my kingdom is actually a sliver of God's. That's actually what it is, that God actually does have a kingdom. Remember when Jesus was leaving, he told his disciples that in my father's house are many rooms. 
Now, if you back up and examine that, he's talking to them about the, the kingdom they're ultimately going to inherit. But what a weird way to say it. My, in my father's house are many rooms. Now, from our human perspective, we're like, who wants that? Who wants a room in the father's house? I don't want a room, man. I want my own island, man. I want my own kingdom. See, but what Jesus is saying, now that room, we're not suggesting that God has got a, you know, built a big apartment complex up there and, you know, you will get one little room. But the point is, is your kingdom, what God ultimately has for you is a sliver of his estate. And until you see God and get, and you, until you start finding the approval of God, that doesn't sound so exciting to you. But once you see who God is, and once you find out what life is really like on, in working in his vineyard, you realize, oh my gosh, this is what I want. God created me for this. This is the kingdom that I want. And my kingdom happens to be a part of his. So as I'm working to advance his kingdom, I end up working in my own vineyard because they end up being the same thing. Remember what David said uh, when he said in Psalms, if I can find it here, Psalms chapter 84, David says this, a single day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a gatekeeper, a servant in the house of my God than to live the good life in the homes of the wicked. He figured it out. He figured it out that God is all about the good stuff. He is all about the good life but the good life is a sliver of his. And if, if what God ultimately calls me to, even on this planet, is to go live with a, with a tribe that is lost in the jungle someplace, I'm gonna end up having a bigger kingdom and more joy and more peace there with seemingly nothing than I am with the accolades of human beings. God has a shocking way of satisfying a human soul. God made you. He knows what pleases you. He knows how to satisfy you. He knows what lights you up. And my kingdom is part of his. And until you believe that, you'll never really go to work in his vineyard and, and abandon your own until you recognize, ah, oh, that is mine. That is mine. That is my kingdom. That's it. Well, let's read the temptation that Jesus faced. Verse eight, next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. That's a lot. I'll give it all to you, he said. Just, just kneel down here and worship me, man. You can have it all. How, how tempting was this to Jesus? I don't know. I mean, ultimately, he did come to earn the, the worship of the world. I don't know. There must, they, it, the Bible calls it a temptation. It must have at least had a moment, but I, don't, you think, don't you think that there was pretty quickly Jesus arrived at the spot where he's like, really, really? Yeah, devil, you, you, like, you have something to offer me. You know, the God of the universe who created all things. We all have to know that. We all have to believe that if I live my life in God, following him, he's got something so freakishly better for me than anything this world could offer now, you notice here in the, you know, the answer, Jesus says, get out of here. The final temptation, get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Say those last three words with me. Serve only him. I know I've repeated this, but if you've, ever, if you've come here before, you know that I only have one point. Every sermon only has one point, and I hammer it to death because I want you to leave with one thing. 
And that one thing is, is nobody does that until they realize that's where all the good stuff is. All the good stuff is serving him. All of it, because God set it up that way. And he's also going to allow a lot, of, a lot of false things that are going to appear glorious out in front of you. That's where the test and the temptation meet. But you will serve only him when you realize, and I, I, I put this into a graphic. You've seen this before. You will see it again, because these are the two human plans, all right? One is what this world and Satan offers you, which is just represented by an up arrow, and it's just all ultimately about me. It's ultimately how things work out for me. My concern is about my kingdom, how things work out for me. A little bit of self-protection. It's all basically pretty easily understandable. I'm going to, you know, my money, my time, my sex life, it's all about my, des- my designs. This, is, this line just represents serving God. It's, it's represented by a line, a flat line, not because people who serve God are flat liners or low or you don't have any money or good things, but it's represented by this because it's a representative of a line of service. It is a lower road in this sense. It's a lower road that I recognize that my joy, my kingdom is in serving and giving. That's what God has me here for. I'm going to love, I'm going to give, I'm going to serve right where he has me. And I have this amazing revelation that God brings life right to my door. I don't need to go find my kingdom someplace. No, nobody has to do that. God has this shocking way of driving it right up to your door. Your your opportunity for service is right in your face. It's probably sitting right next to you right now. You don't have to hunt for it. He drives it right up to your door now. What are you going to do? Are you going to believe that what what God, the life God gave you, giving, loving, serving, those opportunities right in your face, is that where the good stuff is? Is that where the gold is? Is the gold at the end of this road? Or is the gold here? We all get to prove. That's what judgment day is. We all get to prove what we actually believed. Because what you actually believe proves itself out every day. We prove it 100 times every day. When we keep our money to ourselves, we prove it. I actually believe it's better for me here. We get our chance to prove it. Would you just bow your head and close your eyes with me and let's pray. I think that we all want, I don't think you'd be here if you didn't want to do it God's way. But those temptations can be deceiving and they can be challenging and our own human desires can become very, very confusing. That's why for a season like Lent where you take a little while and just cut some things off that are questionable and say, God, I want what you have for me. Now, nobody's looking around, but if you're here, you think, and you just, just in your own life as you examine it, you think there's a good strong chance that there's a, a couple of areas, maybe one, maybe two areas where I'm grabbing a hold of something immediate, something right in my face, and I'm afraid that I might be letting go of the better, the bigger and the better that God has for me. If that might be happening in your life, nobody's looking around, but would you just raise your hand right there where you see it? Just, man, I think that might be happening right in my own life. Father, I just want to pray in Jesus' name for all of us that are lifting our hands. God, open our hearts and our eyes to see the glory that you have for us, the kingdom you built for us. Lord, in your house are many rooms, and you're preparing a place for us, Lord, here in this life and in the life to come. That's the life we want. Give us the faith. Open our eyes to see it and we'll pass up all the little temptations on our way to it. We pray that in Jesus' name. And everybody says, Amen. Amen.